This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah. We've been kind of uh, jumping around a little bit here with the uh, Old Testament uh, uh, minor prophets. Um, there's there's a lot of things that are in there. And, and by no means do I want to run roughshod over anything that is contained in this these uh, these passages. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, the things of Hosea and Joel the other uh, the other day um, uh, we're, 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 we're talking about here in, in the book of Zechariah, um, and th- there's, a, there's a major overall theme that is here. Now, there is a lot of prophetic uh, passages in the book of Zechariah. Uh, there, there, there are a bunch of things. Um, but, uh, but, but, but I want to start off by reading a first, a few verses of chapter one, getting a bit of an understanding and realizing some of the importance of what this book is containing. Now there's a lot of prophecy and we're not going to go into a lot of the prophecy right now, but there are some things that we need to understand about what God's doing with the nation of Israel. And if you will, we look at nation of Israel and we can see a lot of examples for us. What we're to be doing. What we're not to be doing. And when we do that, which isn't according to the will of God, where we're supposed to turn. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get started and we'll get into uh, this morning's message. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've given to us. Thank you for those that are here. Lord, I pray for those that are not here, that are not feeling well, that uh, couldn't make it. And Lord, I pray whether they're listening online or uh, whether they're just uh, getting a bit of a rest, that Lord, you would just um, just bless them with good health and uh, that Lord, they'd be able to be back here with us. And we'd be able to fellowship again together, worshiping with one another. Lord, lifting up your name in praise, bringing glory to your name. And Lord, I just pray that this morning we would do that with our hearts that our hearts would be prepared, our hearts would be ready to receive, our hearts would be desirous to know uh, what you want in our lives as the examples that we see with the nation of Israel. And Lord, again, I just thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Zechariah chapter 1, it says in verse 1, In the eighth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord to Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, the son of Edo, the prophet saying, the Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye now from your evil ways, and from your evil doings, but they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. So right out of the gate, he paints a very bleak picture of what's going on with the nation of Israel. They're still in captivity. Darius was uh, was uh, uh, one of the monarchs of the Medo-Persian Empire that uh, had superseded the Babylonians. Uh, we, we, we see that there was a, a very clear succession with all of these things that were happening. Uh, there's, again, there's a lot of prophecy that is contained herein. As we get down a little bit further, uh, into the passage, we see some of the things that, that, uh, uh, that he sees as far as the prophecies coming. We see where he begins to see in verse 18, four horns that show up. 
and those four horns that show up are four kingdoms. And those four kingdoms correspond with Daniel chapter 7 and the book of Revelation over there in chapter 13, chapter 17. Uh, it correspond to some other things that we, we see, uh, even with the book of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And if you're sitting there going, wait, 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 hold on a second. Come back tonight. I'm not going to leave you hanging about the four horns, okay? I wouldn't do that to you. So we're going to do a little bit of an in-depth prophecy study tonight. Uh, um, and when I mean in-depth, as the Lord leads. Because again, when you start getting into prophecy, people start trying to assign certain things to certain groups and certain beasts and certain this and certain that. And I will say with a degree of certainty, we are uncertain exactly what that is and what's going on. But we can see what the Lord has planned. And that's what we're going to take a look at tonight. And I want to make sure that we, 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 we cover that because it's part of what we're seeing here with the book of Zechariah. Because what we find with Zechariah is this, is that the, the theme is realizing who Christ is. There's a lot of prophecy in here where he talks about uh, Jesus Christ coming and ruling and reigning, the Messiah, the one that they've been looking for. We see that there's going to be a relief of the blindness and, and, and the unbelief that has happened with Israel. Because Israel is still in that state. Keep your place there in the book of Zechariah. And if you will, turn over to uh, the book of Romans in uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we find Paul lamenting this situation, lamenting what's going on with Israel. I mean, he, he makes it very clear in verse 1 of Romans chapter 10. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, again, he's not talking about national salvation as far as getting the kingdom the way that the, the Pharisees were thinking of. He's talking about salvation in a spiritual sense that their sins would be forgiven. He wants to see them all saved. That's a good thing. He says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You know, right now, they're, they're they're preparing and they're trying to get ready to build the temple and trying to get ready to put the altars in place and trying to get ready to put the Ark of the Covenant in place and trying to get ready to do all these things so that they can start animal sacrifices again so that they'll be in favor again with God. Well, what's the problem with that? Jesus Christ paid the final sacrifice on the cross. That's it. No animals are required. No animals need apply. Nothing is going to supersede the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, that washes away every sin. And thank God for it. And it's just a matter of receiving, as we see later on down here in the chapter, in Romans chapter 10. But what we find is, he says in verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. There's the problem. They tried to do things on their own. They tried to do things on their own. We find that they did that which was right in their own eyes in the Old Testament. We find that they went after other gods. They made these gods and put them up there and worshipped them. Made them out of their, with their own hands as Jeremiah 10 talks about. And go and they fasten them and they worship them and they, they bow down to them and things like that. By the way, Jeremiah chapter 10 isn't talking about a Christmas tree, okay? Let's just get that clear, alright? Uh, people have got to understand a couple of things about that. 
But, you know, when we start getting into what, what, what God's showing, he's showing that they have this desire for themselves, to lift themselves up. They were ignoring God's righteousness, went about to establish their own, and as he says here, they didn't submit themselves. Why? Because they were in rebellion. They were in rebellion. A person that is in rebellion to authority is a person that is not submitting. And a person that is not in submission is a person that is outside the will of God. That, that, there's no way you can get around that. There's a huge problem with it. God does not like rebellion. God does not like the rebel. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, pushing back against societal norms or societal sins or anything of that nature. I'm talking about rebelling against the Word of God. Rebelling against what He has said. Rebelling against the commandments of Christ. The law of Christ. Rebelling against those things. And we see in chapter uh, chapter 10 and in verse 20, it says, But Isaiah is very bold, and he saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. He's saying, God offered salvation to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, what did they do? They grabbed it. They wanted it. They received it. Israel... He's still holding out that hand going, come on, come on, come on. You know, we do that. We do that with kids. Come on, come on. We still hold out our hand, right? They're doing with that thing what they shouldn't be doing. They're disobedient. Whether they're five years old, 15 years old, or 25 years old. Come on, come on, come on. All day long, all day long. And he does it with the nation of Israel, the children of Israel. He's like, come on, come on, come on. Take a look at what he says in chapter 11. In chapter 11 and in verse 8, he says, According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, talking about the, the nation of Israel, eyes that they should see not and ears that they should not hear unto this day. What does he say there? He says they were blinded in verse 7. Blindness has come to Israel. In verse verse 10, uh, he makes it very clear that they cannot see. He says, let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see and bow down their back all way. He's making it very clear that this is the, this is the state of the nation of Israel. In verse 25 of Romans chapter 10, what does he say here? He says again, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel under the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So all Israel shall be saved, as is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant to them, when I shall uh, take away their sins. And he's talking about it also in a national sense here. So one thing that we see is he's saying they're blind. They're blind. They kept turning away from God. They kept turning away from God. They kept turning away from God. And God said, finally, you know what? You don't want to look at me. You don't want anything to do with me. Fine. You won't see it. Blindness came. He says it's for a specific time. Till the fullness of the Gentiles come. Why? Because the nation of Israel will rise again 
under Christ's rule. Then the kingdom will come. But not till then. There's a lot of stuff that goes on here in the book of Zechariah that he talks about and some things that, that, that we're going to touch on briefly about some of the, 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 the reason. But the warning is here for us as well as he talks about, you know, that we shouldn't be ignorant of some of these things, ignorant of the mystery uh, that, 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 if you will, is the church, the body of Christ, the ignorant of, of some of the other principles that are here. And this is why he encourages us and exhorts us in Ephesians 5 to walk circumstances circumspectly so that we aren't blind because i will tell you this in this day and age there's many people that 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 do not realize who jesus christ is and i dare say that there are some christians that, that that still don't get it they still don't get it and here what needs to happen with the nation of Israel is there needs to be a restoration of the broken heart, but there also needs to be the restoration of their sight so that they will see Christ. And we'll see this here in just a moment. You know, in the book of Zechariah, going back over there, Zechariah chronicles in some details some of the tribulation that's going to be happening to Israel and its eventual restoration. During the tribulation period, the time that is known as Jacob's trouble and Rachel's sorrow, it, God is going to be doing some major purging through here. He's going to be doing some major purging, some things that we're, we're going to see about that, that, that if you take a look at Zechariah chapter 13, in Zechariah chapter 13, and I, and I want to point this out, Zechariah 13 in verse 8, it says, it shall come to pass, that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried, and they, they shall call on my name, I will hear them, I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, this, uh, the, the Lord is my God. The nation of Israel is going to go through a little bit of a purging period. Did you catch that? Two-thirds of them. Two-thirds of them. Not just 144,000. Two-thirds. Two-thirds that are unbelief. Two-thirds that refuse to recognize Christ as the Messiah. Two-thirds that refuse to receive the forgiveness of sins. Two-thirds that want to establish their own righteousness. Two-thirds that would rather have the Antichrist than the Messiah. You know, that's a sad thing to think about. You go through and you read the rejection of, of, of Christ as the Messiah. Here comes the Antichrist. He's not from Bethlehem, and they know it. He's not a Jew, and they know it. They, they, they understand that he doesn't align with anything in scripture that aligns with the Messiah and they know it. And what do they do? They still say he's going to be our Messiah. Talk about blindness. They would rather have that. Doesn't that sound familiar? Give us Barabbas. They would rather have a murderer. An insurrectionist than Jesus Christ. Their king, their savior, their Messiah. That's how far gone they had become. Now this is a warning to every Christian. 
This is a warning that we can get into some of the same state. We can turn our uh, away from God, as we read over there, where they wouldn't hear in the first verses. They wouldn't turn to God. They wouldn't listen to God. They wouldn't listen to the pleading that's there. And I will tell you this, I have seen it so many times before. I've seen it with, with, with young and with old where there is something that is going on in a person's life and you have believers pleading with an individual, don't go that direction. Don't do those things. Don't do the things that are outside the will of God. Please the Lord with your life. Follow after him. Do his will. Pleading and pleading and pleading and pleading and pleading. And the person turns a deaf ear to scripture, a deaf ear to the counsel of God. A deaf ear to the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again. All day long, he's got his hand out. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Aren't you glad he doesn't withdraw that hand? Aren't you glad that his hand is not shortened, that it cannot save? It can reach down to the deepest, darkest pit and pull the worst sinner out of there. It can pull a person that has, has committed murder. It can pull a person that has committed every crime against mankind. It, is, it can take a person that is, is, is the most vulgar, disgusting individual that you could ever possibly think of and pull them out and save that person and wash them of their sins and give them a home in heaven and give them robes of righteousness. That's my God. And that hand is out there all day long. He's got it out there for Israel. Waiting. Waiting for this to happen in verse 9. But there's got to be some refinement. You know how you refine things? You know how you refine silver? You want to know how you try gold? You burn it. You burn it. That baptism by fire, right there. That's going to be a tough thing. That's going to be a tough thing. Israel's going to have to go through that. And as we see here, as they're being refined, we then see that there's going to be this turn that happens. The book of Zechariah goes through various different visions that he's seen and various different words that he hears and communicates. And if you go back over there to chapter 12 of the same book, you you, you find in, in... in chapter 12 of Zechariah, <clears throat> says the, in verse 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, <coughs> which stretches forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. He, he's establishing who God is. He's establishing who Jesus Christ is because as it says over in the book of Revelation, by him were all things created and by him what all things consist. So we know this very clearly. This is talking about uh, their Savior. This is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about God. In verse 2, it says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall uh, be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered uh, together against it. Which you see a little bit further as he goes down here, uh, uh, through here in this, in this passage. He says, in that day, 
saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness, and I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse with the people uh, uh, of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength and the Lord of hosts their God. In that day I will make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheep, and they shall devour the people round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Now, this is a very interesting thing. During the tribulation period, Jerusalem is going to be attacked over and over again. They're going to try to come in and they're going to try to do things. But God's going to say, not going to happen. Why is that? Because you begin to see there's a national turn towards Jesus Christ. There's a national turn towards Him. There's a national desire that begins with salvation in individuals realizing what they have done. And we get to a a, a very specific passage here where God's going to be doing some mighty works with the nation of Israel even before he returns. Things are going to be happening. Things are going to be occurring because we begin to see his return that he talks about in verse 8 and 9 here where he says, And in that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for he is uh, that is feeble among them. That day shall be as David, as the house of David shall be as God, and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. He's talking about how things are going to occur, how things are going to happen. We know that at some point in time, they're going to besiege the city and they're going to take the city. But as the final remnant is there and as they're getting really dark and it's getting bleak and bleak and bleak, in comes the Savior. In comes the King to rule and reign. We see that over there in chapter 14. There in chapter 14, in chapter 14 of the book of Zechariah, in verse 1 through 9, it says, And behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to the battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. We see him being captured here. Bad stuff happening. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. And uh, ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach Unto Azai, yea, uh, ye shall flee like ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall uh, be one day which shall be known to the Lord, uh, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go forth from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half toward the hinder sea in summer and winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. 
That day's coming, folks. That's something we look forward to. All the saints with Him. If you're trusting Christ as your Savior, that's you. We begin to realize here what's going on as He starts talking about this. But what we see there is we see that, that, that as Jerusalem is being besieged and as there's a fight that's going on and, and before half of the city gets taken and before all of these things, there's something that happens with the nation of Israel. There's something that occurs. And if you turn back over there to chapter 12, we see all of these things happening. And in verse 10, if you will, is the pivotal verse of the book of Zechariah. There's something that we see here in verse 10 and verse 11 that becomes an important principle. And in verse 10 it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And it shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad Rimmon in the valley of Megiddon. You know what happened there in that valley? The greatest king that ever lived for Israel, Josiah, died. Josiah, who picked the wrong fight, died in that valley. And there was a mourning. Because there wasn't a king like him before, and there wasn't like a king after. Josiah was that king that he was young. He was, he was eight years old when he took the throne. Rebuilt the temple. They found the word of God. They read it, and he realized, oh, we've messed up. And God was gracious to him. God gave him peace. They had a Passover like they'd never had before. The people mourned that loss. They mourned that loss. And that loss was big. Big impact for the nation of Israel. But a bigger impact is this. And what we find here in this verse, verse 10 and verse 11, is when they realize who Jesus Christ is. And it says here, they will look on whom they have pierced. They're going to realize we made a mistake. That one that we crucified, he was our Messiah. This Antichrist is no Messiah. And he's going to prove it real quick. He's going to put them into submission, subjection, and bondage all over again. He's going to persecute them. He's going to hunt them down. He's going to try to kill them. All of them. It's going to be worse than World War II. It's going to be worse than the Nazis. It's going to be worse than Adolf Hitler. And we realize here, this blindness winds up getting removed. This blindness that's taken away from them, this blindness 
that is finally lifted, they look and they see who Jesus Christ is. God sends His Spirit. It's not going to be their own Spirit. This Spirit is coming to restore. It's to restore the heart. It's to bring about that realization. And I will tell you this this morning, that God is continuing to communicate with every single one of us. And there are people today that still reject Jesus Christ. There are people today that still look at him as, well, he was just a great teacher. Well, he really wasn't God. Well, he really wasn't sinless. Well, you know, I don't know if I believe all of that. One day this remnant is going to look and they're going to say, what have we done? And I dare say that there comes a point in time in our lives that sometimes we we get to that crossroads. Or some things that have happened in our lives. There's some tribulation that came about because of our own doing. We were blind. We were deaf. We turned away from the things of God. But the Lord with His hand and His Spirit and there comes this realization, what have I done? When's the last time we took a look at the cross? When's the last time we realized the sacrifice that was paid on Calvary? When's the last time we looked at the pierced hands and the pierced side and the pierced feet? When's the last time we realized really truly who Jesus Christ is? You know, the issue with the nation of Israel is they had a lot of idolatry. Yeah, sure, there was Baal and Himnom and Molech and all those other gods that they brought. But you see, all of that disappeared by the time Jesus Christ showed up. There wasn't a lot of Baal worship going on. Those gods had faded back. The real gods of their humanism and their pride were made bare. As Jesus Christ came and pointed out and said, you hypocrites, vipers, wolves in sheep's clothing, you're of your father, the devil. He laid it bare. He revealed it just like he's revealed the nation of Israel here in this passage. And he'll do the same to us. He'll show us where our idols are. And I will tell you this, idolatry blinds. It blinds the nation. You know what's the problem with the United States of America? You know what we don't need? We don't need more Democrats and we don't need more Republicans. We don't need more politicians. You know what we need? We need Jesus Christ. We need the Bible. You know what? That's going to solve violence. That's going to solve bloodshed. That's going to solve problems. That's going to solve those things. But again, that only happens not in a form of morality that is legislated, 
but a heart that looks at the Savior and says, what have I done? And a mourning takes place. The brokenness of heart. You know how bad idolatry has to blind somebody to say, I want to choose anti-Christ over Christ? You know how you get sometimes some food and you're really craving something? But maybe you're a little bit of a cheapskate and you really don't want to spend like, you know, $5 for that bag or for that box of Oreos. So you decide, I'm just going to eat the cheap version, you know? The generic ones. And you're just like, and you get home, you try to put it in milk and it instantaneously dissolves. You're like, this isn't the same. You taste it and there's a little bit of a to it. You know, you, 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 you go and you're like, man, I'm, I'm really craving a good burger. I just want a good burger. You just want a good burger. And then you cave and you go to McDonald's. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not sure that was a burger or that qualifies. <laughs> you know, what would make us choose something that would be so contrary to what is the good? To what is the better? That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. How much better Christ is than everything. And what we find here is that obviously the, the Hebrews need to hear that. That's why that book was written to them. But what we find here is very clearly they're so blind by their idolatry, by, by their own pride, by, by, by what they want, that they're going to accept what they know to be not of God. Nicodemus came in John chapter 3 and he said, we know that you are of God because nobody can do these things except God. Nicodemus admitted it to, to, to Christ what the Pharisees said in private. And they still chose to kill him. They still chose the insurrectionist. Barabbas. Idolatry really blinds. Sin really blinds. Go back to Zechariah chapter 1 and those verses there that clearly point out what blinds. And he says right there, He says in verse 4, Be not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. And judgment came. And here they are, they're right in the middle of the judgment. Assyrians had come, taken a bunch captive. Babylonians conquered the Assyrians, took the rest of them captive. Babylonians were conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire, and they were taken captive. And then over the Medo-Persian Empire, guess what? Here comes the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great, and he conquers them again. And Alexander the Great is conquered by the Great Roman Empire. 
Over and over again, what do you see? Israel is just conquered and conquered and conquered and conquered and conquered. And their land is treated like some sort of trading card that nobody wants. Somebody else's problem. They don't want it. You know, the heating of the spirit turns us away from idolatry. He pours that spirit of grace and supplication upon them. And what happens? They turn. Can you imagine that? A Jew that has realized how horrible his life has been because he has rejected Christ. And he trusts Christ as his Savior. He realizes who he is. And then he sees him. And realizes that those wounds or wounds that were received in the house of a friend. Turn over to chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse 6. And it says, And one shall say unto him, What are those wounds in thine hands? Could you imagine that? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Man, God loves Israel, right? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because God commended His love toward us and that while we're yet sinners... Christ died for us. The wounds that he received were because of you and me. The wounds that he received was because of the nation of Israel. Jew, Gentile, bond, free, male, female, those wounds that are in the hands were because of our sin. John the Baptist cries and says, heralding the coming of Christ, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And this morning I say, look unto the Savior and live. Maybe at some point in time in our lives we've trusted Christ as our Savior. But it's been a while since we took a look at the hands and the feet and the side. Maybe we've kind of realized that desire isn't where it's supposed to be. 
that love isn't there. There's something that's blinding us. There's something that's deafening us. And I'll tell you here this morning, right now, if, if, if you're feeling that way, you're thinking that way, I'll tell you this, it's because of you. It's not because of anyone else. But it's, it's, it's our pride that deafens us. It's our pride that blinds us. It's the idolatry of self that causes us to turn away from God. But in chapter 1, he says, Turn to me, I will turn to you. In James, he says, Draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to you. All day long, he's got his hand stretched out. I look at this passage of Scripture. I look at the book of Zechariah. And while I said there's a lot of prophecy jammed in here, there's a lot of really cool things that happen. There's a lot of amazing descriptions about the return of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things talking about the judgment of Israel. Those four horns, by the way, they're defeated by four carpenters. It's kind of cool. Kind of interesting when you go read that passage. You know those empires, they come and they fall? Yeah, there will be an empire that will rise up that will be like no other empire before it. But I will tell you this, that empire too will fall because of Jesus Christ. The great king our Savior, the Messiah of Israel. And this morning, I implore you, maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe it's time you took a look at the Savior again. Maybe we've taken our eyes off of Him. Let's not be like Israel. Let's not forget the sacrifice of Calvary. And let's not forget the resurrection that gave us the victory through Him over death and over sin. Because without that resurrection, we'd still be lost in our sins. Power of God unto salvation. Israel is going to come to a point where they realize who Jesus Christ is. Have you today? Let's stand for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time that we've had. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to get into your work. Lord, I thank you for the principles that you teach us with the book of Zechariah, the principles of your mercy and your forgiveness, your judgment, your, your hatred of sin, but your love that you extend. Lord, may we take these things and may we learn of them. Lord, may we look at uh, specifically that that uh, that those words, Lord, about where the wounds came from, on whom they have pierced, that it was because of us, Lord. Lord, may we mourn because we've displeased you. May we mourn because we've grieved you. 
But Lord, may our hearts be filled with joy, knowing that we have forgiveness, that we can please you, we can serve you, we can do your will, we can glorify you, who you are, your name, your word, and what you have done and what you will do. Thank you again for this time. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.